this Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping up for Pride using the hashtag YouTubePrideChallenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit YouTube.com backslash Pride. Hello and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today, we will be talking about Jungle Cruise, Ooh. the new Disney film, which is in theaters and on Disney Plus with Premier Access. But that's also going to lead us to a conversation about the news that broke last week about Scarlett Johansson suing Disney for lost profits from the release strategy on Black Widow. And it's likely to be the last time this, conf- this kind of confrontation between an actor and studio rears its head. So we wanted to dive into that. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about Jungle Cruise, a film I found enjoyable in a light way. To, to put it, I, the the publicist asked me, like, what do you think when, when, when I left the film? I was like, it's like Diet Pirates of the Caribbean. And I mean that, not as an insult, but like, it's not as good as the thing that I wanted, but it'll scratch the itch. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's the thing. Like, I would not say Jungle Cruise is as good as the first Pirates movie or as good as 1999's The Mummy or as good as National Treasure, but it's like those films where it's like, I can have a breezy fun time with this and it's not going to make really any demands of me. Like it, it does what it says on the tin where it's like, there's adventure, there are charismatic actors who bounce off each other and there's comedy and there's visual effects. Like it does what it says. It's gonna, like I did not like go into Jungle Cruise with like massively high expectations, but also I, I kind of, it, the film was what I expected it to be. And by that, uh, I was not disappointed. Yeah, I, you know, I greatly enjoyed my time watching it. You and I both had different experiences. You saw it in the theater and I saw it at home. Um, I watched a, a screener from Disney, but, um, you know, I had a ton of fun watching it. I, I agree with you. It does feel like Pirates of the Caribbean light or like Diet Pirates of the Caribbean. And I don't know if we're ever going to see. I mean, that was such lightning in a bottle not only with the jack sparrow character but which is like gore verbinski knew exactly what he was doing and he also wasn't really pulling from anything that existed at that point like it felt fresh and new i think is is the thing and the mummy similarly hit like an adventuresome tone but it wasn't quite indiana jones but it wasn't quite not indiana jones and a huge part of why the mummy works is the chemistry of the cast and i think that's what Jungle Cruise gets that part exactly right. And that it's just like a ton of fun to watch these characters interact and kind of mosey around and watch Jesse Plemons argue with bees, <laughs> which is just objectively fun. But there is also something about it that feels manufactured, which is going to be inherent with anything like this. And I, as you say, I don't think it's a derogatory, like there have been so many shameless ripoffs of movies like pirates in the year since some of which came directly from disney um that this feels like the best version of that it feels like the best one we've gotten since pirates but right. not quite up to the level like you look at a film like prince of persia the sands of time and that's yeah. like trying to be pirates and it sucks yeah and so like for this to be amiable and you know a pretty laid back good time like it's kind of funny the the films that disney is like putting on disney plus and which ones have premiere access because 
you know, we were talking about Luca and I thought like Luca would have benefited from theatrical release. I think, I think it would have been good, but whatever they put it on Disney plus with no premiere access. And I look at a film like jungle cruise and I'm like, this actually is kind of ideal for home viewing right now because like, yeah, I, I got something from the theatrical experience of it, but at the same time, like I would be totally fine just putting this on on like a Sunday afternoon and just chilling out. Yeah. And so for me, I feel like, it's it's a film that I'm kind of looking forward to it just being on Disney Plus without premiere access, which will happen in like a few months. Yeah. And at that point, I'll be like, you know what? I can see this like being part of a rotation where like I just pop this or National Treasure on and just be like, I'll have this on in the background while I work or something because they're they're just fun. And I think there's something to be said for that. I think it's it's, you know, it's one thing to be like, it's fun and make that kind of sound like a backhanded compliment, but it's hard to make movies fun. It really is. Like, it's hard to, to you know, create a sense of joy um, from that experience. And, you know, I, I feel like what the director, uh, is it Wame? Is that how you pronounce his first Jama. name? Jama. Jama. Thank you. Jama. 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 Jama Kalitsara. Thank you. What Kalitsara did. <laughs> there you go. There. Uh, I thought was, was was pretty admirable. Yeah, I think you're right. It's hard to do what they did. And so the fact that it succeeds as well as it does, like I think it's, it gets into, like you start to, you feel the inspiration for the first like half of the movie. And then you feel a little bit of the carbon copy nature. Once you get into the third act of like, Oh, like it's really the pirates of the Caribbean formula here. Um, but what he did is not, you know, it's easier said than done in order to like try and capture that kind of thing. And I went back and I looked at like the critical reaction to the mummy when it was first, when it first came out and it wasn't Geraldo is like this masterpiece. It was pretty like, you know, mixed positive, kind of lukewarm. People were like, it's nothing crazy mm -hmm. special, but audiences really liked it. But I think you're right in that Jungle Cruise is a movie that I'll be happy to like throw on in the background while I'm doing other things or just like chilling out on a weekend afternoon. Um, I think Emily Blunt like is the shining MVP of this one. She's just so effortlessly charming. And I really like that character that they put together for her. Um, because again, easier said than done. It's clear that on paper they were like, all right, we want like a feminist to, you know, out of you who's like ahead of her time. And in this, and there are so many ways it could be drawn out and have gone wrong or felt just like shameless or just kind of like perfunctory. But I think they hit a pretty nice balance with that character. Um, and Dwayne Johnson's character, I think it's some nice twists as well that, that kind of dimensionalize him in a way that he's sometimes not when he's in like action hero mode. Like I don't necessarily find Hobbs all that like interesting. Like it's fun to watch Hobbs punch people, but in terms of like an interior life or like what his feelings are, I think there's Johnson gets some more colors to play with in Jungle Cruise that I think he doesn't get the opportunity to do in a lot of the other films. Yeah, I think this is something more in line with like Jumanji, where it's like it gives him a little more rain, a, a little yeah. more like like he doesn't have to be the badass tough guy. You know, yeah. it gives him some comedy beats. And I think that that works to his advantage. Um, I also think it helps that this film is weird. I think it could have been mm -hmm. weirder, but I yeah, think yeah. 
that helps, you know, the fact that you have like a guy who's made of bees is like <laughs> one of the antagonists. And, you know, again, what you said, like whatever Jesse Plemons is doing in this movie <laughs> is just always delightful. And I think you need that weirdness just like with how like the mummy, it's like, what if we had these three Americans and like the mummy keeps coming to steal their organs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, so I spoke to the producer, Hiram Garcia, about it. And he said the thing that kind of, because this had been in development for a while and Dwayne Johnson had been attached for a while. And I asked, like, what was the thing that finally moved it out of development? Like, what was the idea that was like unlocked it to move it into like active development? And he said it was the notion of reframing it so that Dwayne Johnson's character wasn't necessarily the protagonist. You were watching everything through Emily Blunt's eyes. So that allowed Dwayne Johnson to be a little more eccentric, a little bit weirder, a little bit, little bit looser which is the secret to the success of the pirates trilogy is that jack sparrow is a supporting character he's not a lead and once he becomes the protagonist of that franchise it falls apart uh on stranger tides is terrible and what is the other one Dead Dead Men Men Tell Tell no no tale. Tale. i don't remember that movie why do i, I it's <laughs> answering that question is like man i used to have useful knowledge and now i just know <laughs> the title of the fifth pirates of the caribbean movie well, it's because we probably wrote up like 15 different news stories of like the first image and like, yeah, the side the new TV spot. And then that movie just evaporated into non-existence. But like, that was the secret is that Jack Sparrow was a supporting character. You didn't have to really give him a ton of interior life. You just let him come in and kind of steal the show as he kind of goofs around. Um, in Jungle Cruise, I think Dwayne Johnson could have pushed that a little further. Like, I think he's kind of subdued for a lot of the film. Like he's a little bit looser, but well, I was hoping to see more of that. I think they're trying to also like give him like, because the jungle cruise ride is extent for those who've never been on it. It's essentially what, what you see in the film, you go on this little boat trip and then like the host tells like dad jokes and they're yeah. like groaners and they're like, well, we're going to give these to Dwayne Johnson. Like we're yeah. going to give him these jokes. So like his personality has to like fit those groaner dad jokes. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I get why he's the way that he is, but I agree. I feel like there was a little more room to, to maybe make him a little bit more eccentric. Um, but he has to sort of also be in this, you know, the thing about Dwayne Johnson is that he's built like Dwayne Johnson. So like, yeah. you can't have, like these movies can't really have him be sort of meek, you know, yeah. or, you know, I don't know. He doesn't have, it's not range isn't the right word, but the latitude, I think, of like what Johnny Depp had to in yeah. the Pirates movies to sort of try things out. Because at the end of the day, like his physicality is always going to be important. That being said, it I would say like, I did enjoy, I felt that this film was as close as we're ever going to get to like a rundown sequel. <laughs> like there have been years and years and years like, oh yeah, we're going to do a sequel to the rundown. They're never going to make a sequel to the rundown. But this was fun. You know, if you want to see like, you know, Dwayne Johnson, like having it, having adventures in, in the jungle, like this, this will do the trick. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the one aspect of the film that I think bugged me the most was that it couldn't decide if it wanted its leads to be friends or in a, like a romantic relationship. So it was, there's this kind of tension you can feel throughout the film. And I wouldn't be surprised to learn that like they did some additional photography to like land on land harder on what they landed on. I won't spoil where it goes. Um, but I don't think the chemistry between Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt is it. Do, I don't necessarily buy the romanticism of it. Yeah. I think they have chemistry in the sense that like they're bouncing off each other and they're fun, yeah. two fun actors to watch 
interact with each other but one that it's like but i also need to like have a romantic entanglement mm-hmm. that doesn't really work that that it's not that they're bad it's just it's it's the it's a weaker element of the film yeah and i think it would have been far like it's much more fun to watch emily blunt give him shit in the first act of the movie mm-hmm. than it is to see them not pining for each other but swoon like, for it start swooning yeah yeah lingering looks like at each other on the boat yeah i, like, eh, I don't need this I will say the the there's one thing that like Jungle Cruise does that pisses me off. It's what Disney has been doing for a while now. With it's like we did gay representation, and it's like no, you didn't. No, you didn't do gay representation. It's like so they have um, the idea is that Emily Blunt's brother McGregor, played by Jack Whitehall, he's gay, and the way that they address it is that um, there's a conversation between McGregor and Dwayne Johnson's character Frank and. McGregor is sort of lamenting how he keeps getting trying to people try to push him into these marriages, but he's just not interested because his interests lie elsewhere. And that's the end of it. <laughs> that's sort of the end of it. It's basically like like Disney thinks like for them representation is like we put a gay character in the movie and also we could cut their scene the scenes where they acknowledge anything that's even remotely gay about them for international territories that may not be as accepting and like, but we still want a round of applause. And like, you can kind of see it with Cruella with like the supporting uh, character whose name I can't even remember, who's coded as gay. And then LeFou in, in Beauty and the Beast and, or the, the live action Beauty and the Beast. And I just like, to me, it's it's a problem of, of too little. Like if you're going to like, you know, stay McGregor is a gay character, then have him end up with a dude. Like have him like show like that he has life as a gay man rather than like, well, I'm gay and I'm here, you know, and that's the end of it. <laughs> like I'm, I'm gay in a way that will be alluded to, but not to make anyone uncomfortable and the end. And I just, that really irks me. I actually disagree. I okay. thought, I, I actually thought that was very explicit and like there's literally a scene where he comes out to the skipper. That's there's what I'm saying. Coming out scene in a Disney movie. Right. And but like, okay, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I, you didn't cut me <laughs> off. I won't cut you off. Like he, there is an entire like versus. I agree with you. The LeFou theme was super silly. I thought the Cruella thing was slightly progressive in that like, so I'm thinking of like, I have cousins who were super conservative who like have very terrible views on like homosexuality, but they love Disney movies. So if that person is watching these movies, that progress is going to happen slowly. And I think of like a, an entire scene where he not only comes out, but the skipper is like, here's to elsewhere, like you know, like accepting, not judgmental. I, you know, obviously progress is, this kind of progress is super small. Could it be better? Absolutely. But this is the most explicit thing they've ever done. And it's not nothing for a company this big, for a company this image conscious, for a company that is so, you know, oh, we don't want to do anything to ruffle our bottom line or shareholders or anything like that. I don't know. I'm not like giving them pats on the back, but I also, I think we also have to acknowledge progress happens slowly. Like Mark Harris had a really great thread on Twitter where, you know, they, some people were like lambasting an old Entertainment Weekly issue that was like, you know, out and proud or like, you know, out 
in Hollywood. And some people were saying it was like too little and like they weren't doing enough. And he was talking about how like this happened slowly. Like you have for years, it was coded. And in the nineties, it finally became more explicit, but so many people they spoke to did not want to be mentioned. Like it was still happening very slowly. So progress happens in these small bursts until you get to. Right. And look, and that's fine. I think the, I think it's fine to make progress. I guess my issue is like Disney don't ask for applause on this like do it and that's fine and that's like great but don't be like like we had a gay character and it's like you did technically but you you know there are again it's what you're saying it's slowly but surely so acknowledge the fact that you could have done more and that you can do more without sort of being like where's my treat you know where's my well i guess where are they saying that where are they saying every time character well i mean to me like there's always feels like there's like i mean they're this this kind of crops up and i feel like i could go search for the the articles now that probably popped up like in people and stuff but that would put the podcast on hold the lefou thing i think was that and that was stupid where they were like well and they also did it and i don't want to moment right and when they're it's kind of there in avengers endgame which is disney but also marvel (laughs) you know our ally joe russo our ally joe russo as unnamed gay man um but you know but then again like we went through the um luca press tour yeah and they're like hey hey look you put a gay relate this 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 relationship the subtext here is very gay and disney's like no it's they're just good buddies (laughs) (laughs) something weirder is happening with luca than just disney like that is a i don't know what is happening there but like the director like steadfastly denying it is very strange to yeah me. that whole it could that not whole be more explicit yes it's i mean it could <laughs> it could be more explicit but in luca it's very the subtext is so close to text you're like just go for it and i can kind yeah. of, i can and that's the thing i can kind of applaud luca because luca isn't like hey look at what we're doing it's just existing but then it's like it's it's acknowledging to the I guess the question is, is the lines between subtext and text. Mm -hmm. And I guess for me, like the subtext in Luca goes very far, whereas the text in Jungle Cruise doesn't go as far. And so I Mm -hmm. guess I would rather have subtext that goes very far than text that is just a little sort of murmur. That makes sense. I, I just, again, like I go back to like, I put myself in the shoes of like bigoted people I know who I know will see this movie and like them who like they spend their lives editing this out of like their children's lives of like you will not be subjected to you will not hear about you will not agree with and they go and see this big disney movie and then they sit through the scene where not only is it made explicit but this guy that who is the protagonist or the hero of the film is like yes good like this is totally fine yeah nothing to be ashamed about and yeah we're cool with it. it's just it's I guess to put myself in, you know, we're talking about putting yourself in other people's shoes. I can sort of see, you know, in the shoes of uh, the homosexual viewer, you know, how much longer do you have to wait? Like in terms yeah. for other people to catch up for, yeah. for progress to be made. Like I, and again, I'm, I'm a cishet guy. So this is, this is conjecture on my part. I would be impatient. I would be impatient that like, it's the 2020s now and the notion of, like the best that we can do in this blockbuster film is you have a supporting guy who's also kind of painted as like very effete and sort of, you know, kind of like he wants the cushy life and, and, and other ways that he's kind of coded. It's not the most progressive view <laughs> of a gay man, but like, I would be like, well, like, why are we still like, like, I don't know. 
wouldn't it be nice if like you had an action hero who was also gay, but it's yeah. like that would that apparently is just not possible in Atomic Blonde, but not you know not a not a big Marvel movie or anything like that. Right, or and 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 I would and I would argue like and not like a man. Like because yeah. of our diet, because we have because of retrograde ideas about masculinity. Well, I was gonna say, like, you know, we're also talking about the same company that took 24, 25 movies to make a Marvel movie with a female lead, like yes. Captain Marvel. So if we're go if we're starting from that place where like just with like a woman being the center took them that long. Right. I yeah, do this... that's why I look at where I see the progression of the live action remakes. I'm like, you know. Cruella to Jungle Cruise is, in my mind, a pretty big step. So hopefully the next one is. Yeah, I guess to me, it's I'm always going to want more because I feel like I don't to me. It's well, I can understand like, well, you know, we can't move too fast for the bigots, you know, or else they'll because yeah. they'll never understand. I, 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 I think back I was in college and this was uh, um, the 2004 election had just happened and, and, and Bush was reelected and part of his reelection strategy was basically to make people afraid of gay marriage and like the homosexual agenda that was part of it and there were some friends having a conversation and one was gay and one was straight and the straight guy was like you know what's wrong with civil unions i mean civil unions can have all the benefits and it's like how can you tell someone like you get to be a second class citizen like i don't like what how can you tell someone that you're less than anyone else or that you are deserving of less than anyone else and that your life has to move at a slower speed in order to accommodate the what makes other people uncomfortable we have gone very far afield (laughs) shit got real as two straight men discussed lgbtq plus rights on the collider podcast well i want to be clear i don't i'm not saying this is enough or like this is good enough but i am saying it's not nothing I think mm-hmm. is is basically where I landed on it. Like I don't I don't think that Disney receives like deserves kudos for it. I also don't think they're saying look how good we did. I'm just okay. looking at it objectively as someone who consumes a great deal of blockbuster entertainment. This one felt more explicit than any any of the others I had seen fairly recently. All right. So. Well, let's talk then a little bit. Let's let's switch into another controversial aspect, then, <laughs> which is that. Uh, this movie is now on Disney Premier Access, uh, just like Black Widow. And Black Widow, as we talked uh, in, I believe it was, was it last week's episode or the week before? Uh, it was, it was 2019. Last... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Actually, it was, I think it was a couple weeks ago, but that doesn't matter. Uh, it was a couple weeks ago, because last week we talked about old, the beach that makes you old. <laughs> <laughs> Two weeks ago, we talked about how uh, Black Widow had a pl- just plummeted in its second week. And this was some cause of consternation because this was a film that a lot of people were banking on, but Disney was very proud of like how much money the film had made both in theaters and on Disney plus. And then it plummeted in its second week. And then in its third week, Disney is like, and coming to Blu-ray <laughs> as very, yes. in a very quick fashion. It'll be on, like it'll be available to buy digitally this week, I think. And it came out a month ago. Right. Like that has not happened for a Marvel movie before. And look, there is the whole pandemic to consider. Like this is taking aside the dollars and cents. I think safety wise, especially with the Delta variant uh, rampaging through the country and and the world, it may be smarter to pull back from theaters a little bit. I mean, that's, that's something that we have to consider. And I don't want to be ignorant or just overlook that fact. Uh, But Scarlett Johansson basically sued Disney saying that 
she was cut out of significant profits for this film because I assume, I believe she had a back end deal. Yeah. She had points um, on the back end. She had points on the back end. And by Disney putting the film on streaming as well, it negated points from the back end and the right and has essentially rushed it to home video, basically costing her money. It, it hurts her earning potential. And you can be like, well, you know, she gets paid, you know, X amount of dollars to play make believe, whatever. It doesn't matter. There's an industry. The industry says this is what she is worth. They paid it. And then Disney's tried to be like, we found a way to pay you less. Yeah. While 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 still retaining money for ourselves as a studio. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the other big thing to know is what happens with a lot of stars of Scarlett Johansson's caliber is they get what are called bonuses, like box office triggered bonuses so and robert downey jr famously had this on the first avengers movie and it he made an insane amount of money but like essentially if the movie make crosses the 300 million dollar mark worldwide you get a flat fee of x million dollars if it crosses 500 million dollars worldwide you get an additional x million dollars if it crosses a billion worldwide you get an additional x million dollars so by disney essentially throwing up their hands and saying black widow was done at the box office which you know also to be not fair but like the movie was done <laughs> like the people stopped going like the box office absolutely tumbled in its second week and has continued to tumble and as we saw with the opening of jungle cruise that was soft like people are starting to retreat from the theaters again they were back for a very short period of time and now with the delta variant raging on uh they're pulling back does disney plus have something to do with this that's possible but the other curious thing was that they released the disney plus number box office they made the first weekend but did not say anything about the second weekend which would suggest Everyone who wanted to see Black Widow saw it that first weekend, whether they went to the theater or rented it on Disney+. Plus. Well, and also, Johansson has an argument to say that, you know, it's one thing to be like, if, if Black Widow had just been in theaters and it fell off a cliff, them's the breaks, yeah. you know? Like, you know, it's, you know, it was bad luck. The pandemic reared its head. Film was in theaters, fell off a cliff. What are you going to do? Her argument is that by putting the film on Disney+, Plus it allowed a streaming avenue that denied her funds from a box office take. Cause the, again, Disney doesn't have to release what the, what it makes on Disney plus. Yeah. Uh, maybe it, that note is known internally, but apparently not enough or not to the, not to Scarlett Johansson's satisfaction or she doesn't get a cut of the Disney plus money at all. Um, which wouldn't surprise me if her, if she made a contract for a film that was supposed to be released theatrically and then it got, you know, to this hybrid strategy. Um, and there's been word that, you know, this hybrid strategy, like the reason that we haven't heard actors speaking out uh, on Warner Brothers who are doing a hybrid strategy between theaters and HBO Max is because Warner Brothers just like basically paid a ridiculous amount of money to basically be like, here, here, this makes up for it. Yes. Um, and Disney hasn't done that. Yeah, I'm trying to find that number. Also, I mean... Um, yeah, so you'll remember when the HBO Max deal was first announced, Denis Villeneuve, Christopher Nolan, everyone was like, fuck Warner Brothers, fuck HBO Max. All of a sudden, everyone went silent. Like, that has not continued. <laughs> Dune is coming out in two months, or one month. Uh, no, two months. Two months. And there is no public consternation from Denis Villeneuve or, or anyone involved in that film. So yes, the reporting is that Warner Brothers paid just a lot of money. Like they just said, we're sorry. Here's a like $50 million or something. Cash, like cash basket. 
cash money yeah and that goes for i have to imagine that goes for the actors as well what happened with scarlett johansson was that her contract specifically stipulated or she is suing saying that her contract said that it would be guaranteed to be released in theaters like the other marvel movies and when they announced the disney plus release scarlett johansson's lawyers reached out to disney and were like hey what's up like can we renegotiate what's going on here and disney just ghosted them like did not respond and then just released it and then publicly like released her salary information, which I think was an insanely low blow. And then also tried to like say she was being insensitive to people who died from COVID. Right. And, that, and when you, and when you have to play the, how can you raise this question at this time during COVID? Yeah. That's when I knew like, oh, Disney did some shady shit. Yeah. If that's like what you have to go to, like, oh, you definitely fucked her over on this because you're like, how could you? It's like, yes. How could anyone want money during COVID said the giant Walt Disney Corporation? Yeah. Well, and also like, I would like to know you know, Dwayne Johnson didn't publicly complain. Dwayne Johnson was super behind the Disney Plus release. I have to imagine he re- he got the opportunity to renegotiate some kind of deal. An actor of his caliber, Disney's not going to. And like he, well, off. he also has the benefit of being a producer on Jungle yeah. Cruise. Well, Scarlett Johansson is also a producer on Black. Widow. Is she a producer on? She okay, is, yeah, I didn't know if it was like a real producer or like a you know, we're put your you get an extra. Yeah. Team. No, she got a full, it's not an executive producer. producer, It's a a full credit. Okay. So like, so wow. I mean, this is not obviously the first we've heard of, I mean, if you want to go from a gender aspect, uh, you're making, you're giving me flashbacks to all the money in the world Yes. where Mark Wahlberg got super paid and Michelle Williams did not. Yeah. And she was acting in good faith that like, oh, we're doing this like for the good of the film. I'll just take the flat, whatever. And Mark Wahlberg was like, I'm not coming back unless you give me $5 million. And they were like, okay, but just don't tell Michelle. <laughs> yeah. Which is, so yeah, there's this gender disparity. Cause again, you have to imagine Dwayne Johnson got the opportunity to renegotiate or something, something happened there. Uh, so why would they not in good faith then come to, and like all of the reporting seems to suggest Kevin Feige was not only opposed to this Disney plus release uh, in the first place, but also once they decided to do it was like, you have to make this right with Scarlet. And like, just as, you know, the reporting suggests he's very embarrassed and he's very upset with Disney's decision, but he's not, you know, he doesn't get to control the distribution of those films. And he, you know, just in case anyone was like, oh, how could Kevin Feige do this? Because I'm sure it's embarrassing for him because he's friends with her and clearly has been dropping hints about wanting to bring her back. Right. Well, not just friends with her, but like as like he's the dude that's like trying to lure talent. This is yeah. bad news. If you're Disney and you're like, and if you're or you're Marvel and you're like, I want X actor, I want to say, tell this actor who is, you know, and, and yes, they have up and coming stars, but basically like Marvel still like their casting is one of their like strongest aspects. It's their, that relationship with talent is important. And when the studio like fucks over talent, it makes, it sends a message to everyone else. Yeah. And the message that Disney decided to send here was not, oh, we'll make this right. It was, you know, I'm going to report on how much you make and make you look like a greedy actor and people yeah. will hate you um, as opposed to us, the noble Walt Disney corporation. <laughs> well, and there were also reports that Emily Blunt and John Krasinski were upset about the Paramount plus release of a quiet place part two. So if you don't know every Paramount or not every, but most Paramount movies, their new releases not, are going, not the Tom Cruise ones, <laughs> not the Tom Cruise ones. Uh, I think mission was announced as doing it, but not Top Gun Maverick. Okay. Um, 
but I'll see. We'll see if they change it. But 45 days after the theatrical release, they go on Paramount Plus, which will not exist in May 2022 when Mission Impossible <laughs> 7 comes out. <laughs> I'm willing to bet. <laughs> Although, I don't know. It'll be, it'll, I guess, it'll, be, it'll be CBS All Access again. <laughs> yeah, they'll just revert back to CBS All Access. Uh, I could eat my words because I know a lot of people subscribe to that just for Star Trek. And so they're like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll watch this. But like reports suggest that they were super unhappy about it. We don't know what happened or if a, if a deal was struck. What we do know is that A Quiet Place Part 2 dropped on Paramount Plus 45 days after release. But up before then, there was no public marketing about it. No one was saying like, oh, you can stream it in just two weeks or you can stream it in one week. So I have to imagine some kind of deal was struck in which Krasinski and Blunt got Paramount to agree to not like essentially promote the streaming release. Like, don't tell people they don't have to go to the theater and they can watch it on streaming and whatever. Um, not like telling people they're not, you know, not allowed to watch it outside the theater, but just like, you know, hey, you're hobbling our box office here. Um, so, you know, I would also be curious to know if Emily Blunt then also got in on negotiations for Jungle Cruise. I don't know what happened with Jungle Cruise, but it seemed, you know, they seem to be pretty okay with it on the press tour. The, then again, Scarlett Johansson did a press tour for Black Widow and, you know, that was while all of that was going on also i think the big like the big thing that probably spurred her to take this public was disney just like not responding when they tried to reach out and be like hey can we make this right yeah it wasn't that like like johansson like first wanted to go like like get my lawyers on the phone Mm-mm. because that's not like it does it's not to her advantage it's not to disney's advantage like it's not like it going through a court battle is a pain and it's not gonna like i mean i'm i assume they'll probably like settle out of court but it's still like it's just like not good publicity for anyone so like it's not in her interest to like go that route but at the same token by the same token you know it's also not in her interest to just sort of be like well i guess i lose out on millions of dollars yeah uh because it also because then that lays the groundwork to like let it happen again yeah you know and also it hurts it, it hurts her I mean, if people know that, like, you know, she got, you know, swindled out of whatever, it hurts her negotiating power in the future. And again, you can be like, well, she gets paid too much, but like, whatever, like, this is what the market has decided she is worth. So like that, that's, that's what we're negotiating at. Not are actors overpaid, but this is what they are paid. This is what an actor of her that is considered a box office draw, like Scarlett Johansson, someone who is an A-list star this is what it's she is considered to be worth and like you know know your value that's called her rate according to santa <laughs> claus in i think you should leave season two <laughs> detective crash more <laughs> if you want to crash course in uh what how uh, this is important just watch that sketch from it. that's that's why we're better than aol blast <laughs> <laughs> But that's it. Like, that's exactly it. Is that like, it hurts her rate. It hurts like how she goes about her career and actors routinely will drop their rates for projects that they're passionate about. You know, Leonardo DiCaprio famously will drop his rate for some Scorsese projects. You know, if, if the budget's getting tight, actors will do stuff for scale. So it's not to say they're like, Oh, you know, only pay me my money. Although I think some actors operate like that. <clears throat> Mark Wahlberg. Um, but you know, it's a big deal. And I, I think we haven't seen the last of it. I think it's going to open the floodgates there. I don't know what the source is of the rumors, so it could be bullshit, but I know there was a rumor that Emma Stone was considering suing about uh, for the Cruella thing. Um, so, you know, because essentially all these movies were, you know, contractually guaranteed to have a theatrical release. Um, Disney just like changed its mind to do these hybrid releases. 
and unlike Warner Brothers, I guess didn't make it right, you know, in the interim. Right. So we'll see how that all plays out. Um, but it's in- especially as as you mentioned, as the Delta variant ram rages on, I think we're going to see more hybrid releases. Right. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we are. Let's see. We are one month away from the release of Shang Chi, and yeah. while Shang Chi isn't boasting like. I mean, not, not, no disrespect to those actors, just those actors are not like the, you know, everyone knows their name, like Scarlett Johansson. But yeah. in terms of a hybrid release, we could very much, like Disney hasn't said it yet. They haven't said that Shang-Chi might hit Disney, you know, Disney Plus all, or Premier Access, but I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if it does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's going to, are they going to push Bond again? <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna delay bond it turned out they need to change the, if they do they need to change the time to plenty of time to die <laughs> yes yeah i don't know it's ironic because you know back in may we were like well you know america's good to go we're vaccinations are on the rise we were i we'll was be okay and internationally it's not as great so they have to wait to roll out internationally now it's going to be flip-flopped where you know yeah. canada has surpassed everyone in vaccinations at this point and they're like bring me bond we're good to go yeah you know what? You, you, you get the country, you, you know, people decide what kind of country they want to live in. That's a democracy. In, in a democracy, they do. And uh, it's, uh, it's not, you know, sometimes people are like, it's just, I'm going to pretend to have, you know, I'm going to tie my identity politics to a vaccine. Yeah. Which is unwise. But anyway, that's a different, uh, a different topic. For a <laughs> do you want to go time. down another? <laughs> what was, what did this episode one. turn into? I was like, when you were like, oh, we can't talk about Green Knight. I haven't seen Green Knight yet. We'll talk about Jennifer. I'm like, eh, that's fluff. <laughs> now look what happened. Look what happened indeed. All right. Uh, well, with that, do you want to move on to recently watched? I do. All right. What have you seen lately? Can we talk about The Devil Wears Prada? Adam, we can talk about The Devil Wears Prada for an entire episode, if you like. (laughs) That movie, so that is like one of my wife's favorite movies. And it has now become one of my favorite movies. And it is like one of our go-to comfort watches. So yes, we can talk about The Devil Wears Prada as much as you like. (laughs) (laughs) We watched The Devil Wears Prada again. Uh, uh, My wife and I had both seen it before, but I hadn't seen it in a super long time. So I wanted to rewatch it. It is a fascinating film because <laughs> Meryl Streep is great in it. And there is undoubtedly something comforting about watching it, but it is also like shitty in interesting ways. Like Adrian, like her boyfriend is the worst person <laughs> on the planet. And like the movie. Okay. So here's the problem with the devil wears. Prime, it's like, oh, it's on now. It's on. Now. My, my wife is going to burst into my office. Like what the fuck is this? <laughs> okay. I say all of this saying I enjoy watching it. My wife does too. But my wife, like she had told me like she hates that movie. And I was like, well, why do you hate it? And she tried to explain it. I was like, well, let's rewatch it. Like I, you know, let's see. And she hates it, but she's seen it a billion times. The The problem with the movie is that Anne Hathaway's character wants to be like a famous journalist or like a successful journalist. And she gets this opportunity as the assistant to Miranda Priestly, who is a demanding, abusive, crazy boss. Turns out like this magazine is huge and this is actually a great opportunity and you know her whole thing is i'm just going to spend a short period of time here but i could get a lot of connections i could get a great reference this could really boost my career the whole time her boyfriend is like quit your job she sucks just quit your job like your career doesn't matter meanwhile he's over here just like barely making it as a cook (laughs) just 
you know, he's busy making grilled cheese, (laughs) busy making grilled cheese. Uh, And he's just, you know, he's so upset that she missed his birthday party. And it's all is so it's this weird dichotomy because on the one hand, like, yes, Miranda is a terrible boss. You can view this as like an abusive relationship, but you could also view it through the prism of Anne Hathaway's character who comes to love it and comes to enjoy it and comes to see this as the stepping stone that it could be. And so it's just this weird, like the movie wants to punish her for like having ambition or having goals or like the feeling. And she makes the, like, she makes the argument throughout the movie. Like, you know, this is, you know, this is actually more interesting. And Meryl Streep's character has that whole speech about the Corsillian blue or whatever, about how fashion actually matters. And then at the end, it's like, yeah, but not really. <laughs> like, the, the, the word you were looking for was cerulean. Not cerulean, there you cerulean, go. Cerulean, I think it was a planet in <laughs> That's fair. The Coruscant blue. But then, you know, it like comes to the end. It's like, but yeah, fashion actually doesn't matter. But then like she gives like the wink and the nod to like Miranda Priestly and Miranda Priestly. I don't think it's, okay. I, I don't think it's saying fashion doesn't matter, but but go on. Well, there, I, like it starts to come to like, her boyfriend is consistently saying this is stupid and her friend is saying this is stupid. Although Rich Summer is like the only person that supports her. So I don't know why. Uh, but they're but also, uh, well, go ahead. I well, yeah, I guess that's the thing is like the whole movie is like kind of, con- and again, like it's a super enjoyable movie. I will absolutely watch this movie 10 more times, but it's this frustrating thing where like this woman is punished for having ambition and made to feel like shit for like doing a good job or like doing the job that she is doing. Like sometimes like, if you're married to someone who's going to medical school, you're not like you missed my birthday for like going through residency. So I, I would say I would say the to answer your your points. First off, do you remember what it was like being in your early twenties? <laughs> yes, that's that's the other thing that I had to keep like, in mind here. Being in your early twenties, you're shit. <laughs> I'm shit. Everyone, a lot of people are shit in their early twenties. Yeah, uh, because you're just out of college. You're trying to find yourself. I mean, keep in mind, like the way the film starts off. Um, Andy sucks. <laughs> like she walks in to the place that like this really prestigious magazine doesn't know anything about it. No, didn't do her research uh, as a journalist, which is surprising. And she's like, it's either this or auto main auto maintenance. And I'm like, why would you say that in a job yeah, interview? That's, that's insane. Not, that's That's insane. And then like, so for the first act of the film, she's like, this is beneath me. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, the film is sort of an interesting sort of coming of age story where it's it's not about like, you know, fashion is good or fashion is bad, but like Andy sort of realized like, what kind of person do you want to be? Yeah. And it's formative for her because she goes into it thinking she's better than it. Then she sort of sub- submits to it and sort of like, okay, I'm going to really give it my all. I'm going to be part of this world. I'm going to put in the work ethic and really do an amazing job. And then it's like, if you want to stay here doing this amazing job, are you willing to cut some throats? And that is sort of like the line between Miranda and Andy is that Miranda is willing to go that distance. And it, I think the film is sort of ambiguous about like, is it worth it? And like for Andy, it's not. And the film, because it's kind of in like a rom-com mold almost, like it's not a rom-com, but it is sort of have a, it does have a light touch to it. Yeah. It, it, it settles on the moral perspective. Like, it's not like, um, I guess the sort of the a comparable film would be Swimming with Sharks, um, which is another film about an abusive boss played by an abusive actor, <laughs> played by <laughs> Kevin Spacey, based on an abusive man, Scott Rudin. Yeah. So, so Swimming with Sharks for, you know, a little, little fun fact there. But that film is sort of like you can subsume yourself to like, you know, 
the the job is what mattered. I do think it's interesting that the the male dominated film chooses that, whereas the the female led film has a little more nuance than that because <laughs> it doesn't i still don't think at the end it like it's like miranda is the devil like i think i mean it's called the devil no. Prada, but i don't yeah. think you know i read the they recently did a uh a, an oral history of it yeah and they were like why is miranda lambasted and why like, i think it's meryl street was like why is this person evil when we accept countless men who behave this way yeah and exactly. this kind of demanding and also like the thing is that the thing about that scene with like the cerulean blue it shows how good miranda is at her job yeah and that scene is so important because without that scene yes she does just seem like a tyrannical boss but you need that scene to be like no 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 there's a reason the fashion world revolves around this individual it's because she understands it intimately yeah and so i feel like the film really does work but like yeah her boyfriend sucks her friends kind of suck she brings them a bunch of free shit and then <laughs> they steal her phone yeah so like you know but i think that that just goes to the, like these are people in their early 20s um yeah. the dude who really fucking sucks is simon baker that dude yes uh, his character <laughs> not simon baker the individual who i don't know yeah. but simon baker's character who's like this fan like this sort of self-satisfied author uh or freelance or whatever like he sucks well um, i think i you know i agree with everything you said i think that's true and i also i also agree i don't think miranda is a villain i don't really view mm, her that way no i think my problem with the film is that it begins and it sets up her friends and her boyfriend as her lifeline and then it uses them to like punish her or like show that she is doing the bad thing because she's turning her back see, on I, who she used to be see and i and i guess my counterpoint is like those those voices are not the voices of reason in the film they are they are her old comforting life calling back to her but like they want her to be a person that she is frankly outgrowing and i like at the end of the film that she's kind of outgrown her crappy boyfriend no she hasn't she's like she looks at him doe-eyed and he's like i could make a grilled cheese in new jersey he's like she's like but yeah but like he's moving to boston and she's getting a job in new york like it's over yeah but he's like we could make it work and she's like you think and like gets tears in her eyes and like smiles and bats her eyes like Oh really? You'd still take me? Like you'd still take me back? I don't read it that way, but okay. <laughs> that's what kind of got on my nerves. Where it was like, this mm. guy sucks. This I guy think we can both agree that he is terrible. Yeah, yeah. I will buy yeah. the argument that he's the real villain of the piece. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. That that was again. It's a super rewatchable film. I think Meryl Streep's incredible in it. I just like it was just. It's just this strange thing of like the job becomes to begin become interesting and it's important to her and her friends are like you are terrible for wanting that you are terrible for doing yeah. what your boss tells you to do you are think, terrible for being yeah ambitious. And, but again to me that just plays honestly because it's sort of like as you grow and change you're like oh i wouldn't recognize the person that i am but it's like you know the person that you were walked into a job interview completely unprepared and was like <laughs> this is beneath me so maybe yeah. it was time to outgrow that person <laughs> that's true but I don't know. It just feels like a little bit at the end that like the boyfriend wins because she like turns her back on it and is like, you know, that's not me. And I got my job writing about. But he, you know, you know his argument was never like, are you ruthless? You know, you're too ruthless. His argument was like, you're not spending enough time with me. Yes. You yeah, know, that's true. he didn't come up with her like a moral thing. Like you would never hurt people like this, you know? Yeah. Um, that's and true. that's where, that's where Andy draws the line. It's like the way with the way that Tucci, who is amazing in this movie, by the way, we yeah, he mentioned Tucci um, when Tucci gets backstabbed, like for her, that's the, and she realizes that she did the same thing to Emily Blunt's character. Like that to her is like, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Emily Blunt is also really good. In that movie. Yeah. This was Emily Blunt's breakthrough role. Yeah. 
so yeah i will watch it a billion times it is also just a frustrating watch because it's just like come on let the girl be ambitious fair enough fair enough uh i watched uh this weekend i had not watched this film since high school and i was like you know what i need i need to rewatch this movie and so i rewatched uh seven samurai uh, have you seen Seven Samurai? I have not seen Seven Samurai. You've not seen all three. It sat and a half on my hours. DVR for like three years because <laughs> I was like, "When is the time? When do I have the time?" Like, finally, this Saturday afternoon will be it. And then I probably watched like Transformers three or something. Yeah. It's on HBO Max, so you can like watch it. I know it's in my queue. Believe me, that and Clute are staring me down. And I'm always like, I want to watch these films. And I was like, am I in the mood to watch this film today? <laughs> Instead, and I follow you on Letterboxd. You're like, you know what I have time for? Doctor Strange. <laughs> yes. Well, we're we're re-watching all of the MCU. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so we're going back through. Yeah, no, that was not a like, <laughs> what should we watch today? Let's check this one out. That was a, this one's next. That was one. obligatory. <laughs> And also that movie is worse than you remember. I guarantee. Oh dude. I tried to watch it. Like, like I was, uh, I, I wasn't feeling well one day and I was like, you know what? Oh no, it was actually, it was the day I had after I had had my second, uh, vaccine <laughs> shot. And I was like, I'm home. I'm just, I'm feeling really tired. I need a movie that just like I can pop on and whatever. And I popped on Dr. Strange and I got like 10 minutes into it. And I was like, fuck this. <laughs> I'm out. So lethargic. Yeah, it, that movie has no propulsion or pulse. No, it. Uh, anyway, but Seven Samurai is a great film. Uh, for those who don't know, it's a very simple story, which is that there are these uh, farmers; their village is being terrorized by bandits. So they decide to go recruit some uh, Ronin, essentially uh, masterless samurai, to come and help defend the village. And it, this is a premise that was, it was adapted, it was remade into the Magnificent Seven as a Western. Uh, it was basically adapted into a bug's life, but- I was going to say, is it true that this is, this movie was based on a bug's life? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, somehow a movie in the future, uh, but it's, it's so good. And, and this is Kurosawa, who is one of the greatest filmmakers who's ever lived uh, at the top of his game. Like this is, you know, in a career filled with masterpieces, this is, his best masterpiece, I guess, as you could say, I don't know. Um, it, it's so freaking good. Every shot. I mean, Adam, you're going to watch this film and you're going to get mad at yourself because I know how much you like value shot composition and, and visuals yeah. and just the way every frame is filled with meaning. <laughs> I mean, this is a film where like an unnamed character can like tell you their life story in like three looks. It's incredible. <laughs> I'm just, I'm so, everything about this film works. I mean, like I could, I could write a whole essay just on Toshiro Mufune's performance, which is so wild and outlandish, but like, I, it's iconic without being imitable. Like, like Hannibal Lecter is an iconic performance, but everyone has like a Hannibal Lecter, like, it, you know, impression in their back pocket. Like you can't repeat what Mifune does here uh, in Seven Samurai but it's, it just stays with you. It, it's every element of this film is amazing, but I can totally see like, you know, for someone like, you know, I mean, you love movies and even this film is like, oh, that three and a half hours probably seems a little daunting. Well, it's like, I need to know when I cannot be distracted, when I know I'm in the mood for something that's gonna like, I, I need all my attention. Oh, here's the thing hours. though. Here's the thing though. I don't think you do. I think, you know, that's the thing. It seems so important. They're like, oh, I have to give it three and a half hours. You can pause this film and like go to the bathroom. Like it yeah. has an intermission. It, you know, it's not 
heavy. It's an action film. It's very yeah. soulful, but it's an action movie. And so I, I would say like to anyone who's like, oh, Seven Samurai, that's just too much movie for me. You can handle it. It's great. And you'll be grateful that you watched it. Okay, I'm going to watch it. The yeah. first time I have to watch Devil Wars Prada again. Yes, of course. Well, that's a, that's a given. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll be back with you next week.